This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting in my home with a great guest. It is the other person who lives in this home. She is a dancer and arts administrator, historic mansion manager, Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. In our home. It's very much my pleasure. I almost said that I'm the other person that lives in our home that we know of. And then I was like, don't say that. That's weird and creepy. But I just said it. So there we go. It starts the podcast with an air of mystery. (laughs) Who knows who may appear? It's a mystery. Uh, Thank you for doing one of these main episodes. Uh, Our Patreon listeners know that you do the Patreon bonus episodes with me uh, every month. And we do a lot of these main show episodes together as well. This one I just kind of had to do because I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to talk about it with you, and we we're going to talk about it without microphones. So I figured, why not obsess into microphones? Right. Since we have a podcast called Obsess, <laughs> it all makes sense to me. So we are going to talk about the experience that you and I have had binge watching, mm, been quick watching. It wasn't a quite yeah. binge. Yeah. Yeah. Reasonable uh, shoveling pace. Yeah. Uh, intense. rewatch intense intense rewatch intense rewatch <laughs> of the first 7 seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh before we get into it, I want to offer the caveat that I personally have not read the books. I have had the books described to me perhaps for the same amount of time it might have taken me to read the books. So <laughs> I have many awesome friends who are super into the books, so I have a slight understanding of what's in the books, but we're really talking about the television show and the experience of watching that. Yes, I also have not read the books. I have had them explained to me for significantly less time than that Um, and only remember bits and pieces that probably make no sense and maybe aren't even in the books after all. We'll throw some of those out there just to confuse (laughs) the field. That would be fun. Uh, So I want to start, though, if you could share your personal experience with George R. R. Martin because it's such a (laughs) great and interesting story. Sure, sure. So um, I, for many years, stage managed a show that took place at San Diego Comic-Con called Wootstock, um, which was produced by Paul and Storm, Will Wheaton and Adam Savage. And for a few of the years, they would do kind of an opening bit. And uh, one of the years, the opening bit involved them um, having written a song about George R. R. Martin, please write and write faster as the song goes. <laughs> and uh, Neil Gaiman came out on stage, chastised them. And then uh, George R. R. Martin was one of the surprise guests for the show. And he was to come out on stage and um, smash a guitar. Because <laughs> he wanted them to stop singing the song about it, him writing faster. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, he was very nice nice man I was a stage manager and he's like uh, and I said okay do you want me to tell you when you go and he said yep please push me and I said okay I'll tell you when you go he said no push me so (laughs) so when it was time for him to go I gave him a very light light tap uh, not a push Uh, so he did go out on stage he did smash up the guitar and then uh, afterwards his the show was going on and uh, it had been a thing that they were supposed to get a picture of him with the broken guitar, but everybody who knew that was on stage. And he had to get to his next thing, because it's San Diego Comic-Con. And he's George R. R. Martin. And he's George yeah. R. R. Martin. He had many things to do. And so his uh, friend who was there with him grabbed me and was like, we need this to get taken care of. So I was like, great, I will take the photos for you. So I went and took the photos with uh, him and the smashed up guitar. So <laughs> I just love this story because <laughs> not only is it like a great interaction with, you know, a famous person like George R. R. Martin is, where he's somebody who is uh, friendly and game for fun 
and all of that, but then that it also involves actual violence. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's like, push me. Push me. I have to smash a guitar. That's right. Put me into character. <laughs> it all makes sense. And I just feel like, wow, to be in the in the position to <laughs> to push an author uh, who has who has challenged people. That's right. Who has upset people with exactly. uh, with their uh their writing, their sudden narrative turns. That's very, <laughs> very funny to me. Uh all right. So uh I was gonna start by asking why we did this rewatch. But I kind of just feel like we both liked the show. Mm-hmm. We never rewatched it season to season. And we yeah. just both, I think, wanted to be a little bit more caught up Yeah, I mean, for this final season. I will I will share my experience of yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is that you suggested it. Um, <laughs> but more specifically, uh, you said, oh, you know, maybe we'll have time to do this. And I was instantly on board because I... We, kind, we watched all of the seasons, but there is time in between them. I don't think we've rewatched any of the seasons no. before another season i've like so. read up uh, in like on online to or, or had conversations with people to kind of catch me up but we haven't yeah. rewatched the episodes yeah and so to me it was like oh this is going to be great because i absolutely know that i'm missing key things that would make me enjoy the last season more yeah or like characters that kind of rise to prominence in later seasons or moments so like we had more recent memory of them to be like ah ah that's where that set up Got set up. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, I mean, some of the things, obviously, you couldn't get until later as people who had not read the books and had not written the future. Um, but some of the ways that they had written lines where, at least for myself, I had remembered the gist of what maybe somebody had said about another character or how they had said something. But it turned out that the gist was kind of important, but exactly what they said was really important. Yeah. And so that was just, it was so fun. And it was... um it was so fun for me because there are so many characters uh, to feel like some of the characters I think I just didn't track the first time. Okay. And to feel like, oh, I really tracked them this time. Like Varys is one that I tracked this time that I just didn't the first time. Right. Because if you kind of watch them far apart, you know, some of the characters like Varys is like he he does shift allegiances. He shifts locations. He shifts who he's talking to. But like his perspective never shifts for is, uh, is shifty. As he is, mm-hmm. he says pretty early on, I'm for what's best for the most people. Yeah. And he keeps shifting to however he thinks he's going to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that yeah, was and really it's... fun. And I, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I wanted, we kind of got into this question naturally, but I wanted to ask you what struck you different on this viewing kind of big picture. Were there specific moments that you really loved that you maybe didn't love the first time around or moments that you found like, you disliked or or even just like general character arcs or ideas mm. like what popped to you or what sang or did not sing yeah um ooh. some i would say some of the things that i really enjoyed rewatching, um remembering some of the um, friendships or relationships and where they ended and watching how they developed and got there i know this is one that i talked about with you but um without microphones in front of our faces <laughs> <laughs> but with um with brianne and Jamie Lannister of knowing where they were at the beginning. And so it was really fun to see where they are at the, or excuse me, knowing where they are at the end. And so getting to see where they are at the beginning and that journey of how those two uh, developed this bond uh, that carries throughout. That was like a very specific arc that I enjoyed seeing again. Yeah, I, we were talking about this. I felt like, at least kind of for me or from my perception, I feel like the show kind of exploded in on social media, really, like season three or season four. So some of our just sort of cultural associations with 
uh, Jamie and Brienne kind of bonding. Yeah. You know, that, you know, you can see Jamie, Brienne, you know, memes and I'm sure like shipping and things like that. So to kind of live with that is just sort of for me being on social media a lot, like a little bit of noise in the geek community, uh-huh. you know, those kind of relationships to then really go back and, and see, oh, yeah, Jamie is not even remotely sympathetic until Brienne starts to bring out some of his humanity and he yeah. starts to express it to her and therefore to us, the audience. Yeah. And then gets much closer to like, well, he's, yeah, he's with Cersei and yeah, he does some questionable things towards the end, but he's much more like, uh, much closer to one of the heroes and he starts out as one of the villains. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very, that was very interesting to me to rewatch it because I had that like, oh, I have, I feel like he is a somewhat sympathetic character, but at the beginning of season one, I'm like, oh goodness, no, he's not. (laughs) Yeah. He's just out for himself and full of himself and that's all he cares about. Um, so that was that was fun. One just uh, very specific path that I enjoyed rewatching. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to change the topic. So uh, I was just going to say that I really appreciated Sansa's arc. Mm, uh, yeah. How much? Because I didn't remember from the early seasons how much. Understandably, she has been raised to. This is your role. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of that in the show of people being put in their boxes, mm-hmm. but in particular for her being put in this box that kind of that has. Uh, I, I don't know, really relatable real world uh, connections of this is what a lady is supposed to be. Yeah. You, we're, we're training you to be a literal lady within the language of the show. <laughs> right. So why wouldn't she grow up with these kind of fantasies? Of you know, course. Her father seems to know, kind of obviously know the sort of darkness and awfulness of the world. And, he, you know, he's hiding this. By the way, there are going to be huge spoilers in this. So if you've never watched Game of Thrones, <laughs> yeah. stop right now. So obviously, like Robert's been uh, or Ned's been hiding the truth from his best friend Robert that Jon Snow is a Targaryen who Robert would like to murder if he knew. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why he has to be hidden, right? That's why right. he has to be Jon Snow. And, yeah. and anyway, I'm getting off onto a tangent. The point is, <laughs> I was so sympathetic to Sansa being raised in the safety of the nice castle at Winterfell. And being just kind of taught, like, yeah, King's Landing, it's far away, and it's, you know, there's a lot of gold, and, like, why wouldn't she grow up thinking in a sort of fairy tale kind of way? Yeah. You know, and then having that fairy tale crushed, and then watching her uh, not only learn from, like, all of the awful people around her, like Cersei and Littlefinger, but also come into her own intelligence and savvy that 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 she always had, but, yeah. you know, once... Once she got rid of this sort of illusion that had been thrust upon her about how the world works, that she, you know, found something within herself that was already always there. Yeah. And and not that I always want to see uh, women characters defined by male dialogue, but I really like that dialogue uh, between, I think it's Davos and Jon Snow, mm, uh, mm-hmm. where they're talking about uh, uh, how much she is, that she's always had a mind of her own and like... No, she's really using it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, you, you know absolutely. what I mean. Yeah, and I, John was saying something about the fact of like, oh, she's showing it. Yeah. <laughs> something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really fun one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's not Davos. It's I think it's character. Tyrion. Yes. Yes. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, of course it's Tyrion. Yeah. yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so were there mo- what were you going to say about another moment that you liked or a, a <laughs> moment you disliked on the on the oh, rewatch? It was going to be a moment I liked and in the meantime I thought of another. There's just so many moments I liked. So this is <laughs> yes. going to be uh I could talk about it for a long time. Um one 
kind of bigger picture, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, here's the thing I liked uh, that I did like the first time and it was fun to see it again with a different perspective, which is the finding of the direwolves. Mm, yes. Very early on in the first season and then tracking the, which, which direwolves survive, how and when they do and kind of what their journeys are and what their relationships are with the Stark kids. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed that as, um, just kind of another way of looking at the relationships within um, within family, found family. I mean, yeah. obviously because they they did all seem quite bonded to their individual owner, but also to the other Stark children. There seemed to be um, a bond there, and I just uh, I found that really interesting because it was one of those things that I liked, but because we sometimes had a lot of space between when we would see a one season and the next, I never felt like I quite tracked all of that before. So I yeah. enjoyed, enjoy that. Yeah. I think what I really enjoyed <laughs> about the direwolves is I forgot the specific detail. Like they, they aren't as magical and mystical as dragons or white walkers. They're known to, you know, the people of the North, but they don't normally come that far South. Yeah. So that idea of like that right away in that first episode, you know, I know that you, I remember that we started with the White Walkers right from the beginning. That that's mm-hmm. the first scene. Yeah. Uh, but I hadn't remembered that that was set up so early too. of like, yep, things are magic is already starting to come back. Mm-hmm. And then what does it mean that the Starks who are from the north who in the northerners are a little bit more open to the idea of magic and the, the old gods yeah. and all that than the uh the south is so that for for the stark to be traveling around and for so long be protected by these symbols of a little bit more of acceptance of an older world of a natural world that the south rejects yeah yeah is is, there's something powerful about that in the direwolves as well yeah yeah absolutely okay so you thought of another thing you liked (laughs) i mean i can do this the whole time so i think we should go (laughs) okay but i do want to ask you in in the watching of the whole thing were there any moments that you were like now that I see it in the flow and it all makes sense and I'm tracking all the characters, were they, was there anything that you disliked or questioned more because of that? Um, ooh, it's a really good question that I do not have a really good answer <laughs> to. Um, I, I continue to really dislike um, uh, Ramsey Bolton as a character <laughs> yeah. and the scenes with Ramsey torturing everybody. Um, and those were ones that honestly were some of the ones in particular were harder for me to watch. And some of those like, I'm coming pretty close to just not watching this scene this time because yeah. I feel like I know where we go from here. And I don't know that there's anything more I'm going to get out of watching this again. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with you that yeah. some of the scenes, uh, you know, the extended scenes with Theon, like maybe you can say like, oh, you really want the audience to understand why Theon breaks mm-hmm. entirely. Um, but I th- it, yeah, there's something to me about sometimes this show uh, falls victim to the moments that it does so well, it uh, raises the bar on itself. Yeah. So it's really obvious when, for me personally, they don't clear the bar. And I think for me, they didn't, they just didn't clear the bar on Ramsey Bolton. Like, I think the actor did a really good job. Oh, they yeah. Milked some moments of, like, honestly, he was, like, to me, had some, like, weirdly, darkly funny moments. Um, yeah. And I think in the in the writing, they did drop in all of these hints that Roose Bolton was a monster to him, not only psychologically about being a bastard, but you get the, the sense that he raised him explicitly to be violence. And this is violence begetting violence, which is obviously a huge theme in the show, but like a direct yeah. one of Roose Bolton 
you get the sense that he physically tortured Ramsey, so Ramsey would think and think yeah. that it's the right thing to do. And then on top of it, he just seems like an actual clinical sociopath. Yeah, not um, to mention that their house banner is a flayed man. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like <laughs> clearly, like yeah. that whole the concept of clay of playing of flaying people seems is like is a thing they're proud of. It's like right the Starks say winter is coming. The Boltons say you know we we must flay our enemies alive. Yeah, what, you know. Whatever, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry not to interrupt you. No, no, no. But it is it is very. It uh, just was waving in the air. Oh yeah, no, it, it, a lot, a lot. So you're right. That is a really good. You know, big picture macro example of not great parenting in a family with those <laughs> banners. My point is with all all the there's something about Ramsey Bolton that doesn't rise up to be more than the sum of its parts, because like I thought the actor was good. I thought the character was well motivated. I guess I get the need for a lot of the torture scenes narratively. And yet altogether, it's just like a character who just I can't. I just don't enjoy spending time with them. And there are so many characters who do awful, awful things that I'm still compelled by. Yeah. And I'm just not compelled by Ramsey Bolton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think the big picture thing for me is when I watch the whole thing and I see how uh, how paced out the, the first seasons are, it, it makes the later seasons speed a little bit harder for me. Yes. Um, completely agree. Yeah. And, and I understand... Some of it is just sort of the natural, uh, it feels strangely alien when you've watched a show that is, that introduces people in their places in the first season and then shatters them. Yeah. And then there's seasons and seasons of the show expanding. So it, it feels unnatural by the time, you know, the last episode of season seven, when the, so many of our main characters are in the dragon pit, it just naturally feels like, that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> Coming it's all, together is not what this show is about. It's coming together and it's swirling and it makes no sense, which I suppose is partly the point. Yeah. But, and so there's that. I mean, it makes sense. But, but then there's like, um, like you're on Greyjoy, who, who also I feel like is, is doesn't have enough character development to be as compelling as he should. He feels mm-hmm. a little just more like villain. Yeah. Um, which I'd be okay with because we don't have that much screen time with him and he's got some good he pushes some buttons that make more interesting things come out of other characters like jamie and theon and all that mm-hmm. um but his attack on yara and theon's fleet just doesn't make any tactical sense to me like right. how did he find out exactly where they were uh are yara we have been led to believe is not a terrible captain who wouldn't have you know a lookout who might know and like like a uh- a stellar captain. Yeah, like so much of the show early on, even when we don't get to see the battles in the early scenes, we learn what the tactics were. We hear a yeah. lot about how Rob tricked Jamie. Yeah. And Tywin and how he managed to capture Jamie. And this is just Euron comes out of the mist because he's an unstoppable bad guy because it's meantime. Like, yeah, <laughs> so I think for me that's maybe one of the things that that felt not as good on the rewatch as that it exposed some of those mm-hmm. look we're just going to get to it we could have a, a bunch of scenes you know building up to how and why this happened you know i think yeah. it just I, I, yeah no, normally when like the that. characters fail when the characters we like like we like yara and we're rooting for yara i think yeah um normally when we when they fail we see whose fault it is down to a person like that somebody made a bad decision and it's kind of they kind of set it up as Tyrion's bad decision in terms of having this overly complicated plot to 
plan of how to begin the war in a way that is not going to just take lives from King's Landing. But that's not about that's about Tyrion. That's not about Yara. Like, how did Yara let this happen? I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's one thing that I I don't feel is as well set up because it kind of hints like, oh, well, this was Tyrion's suggestion. He's trying to be a good hand in time of war, but it didn't work. So they were bad ideas, which I don't quite I just don't buy. And I think maybe that's part of it is we don't know why, like with the um, the Unsullied and then when they took Casterly Rock and it was too easy, we learn why. Yeah. You know, Jamie that very Jamie specifically outthought Tyrion. outthought Tyrion because he used a movie learned from Rob Stark. Like, yeah, that one's very specific. And I feel like, OK, if we had had that same even some explanation of was it that they went somewhere where it was foggy because they thought there was nobody else on the sea or, or is it something that Euron it, knew because they've established that he has traveled the world and has these tricks up his sleeves that maybe they don't know even that yeah, yeah. but i feel like because we don't know exactly what went wrong in that battle i also as a result they like kind of semi blaming Tyrion for things not going well just never sit, has not yeah. does not sit right with me. And I don't think it. Yeah, that, and that I don't think it is necessarily the intent of the show ultimately to say Tyrion's plan to spare lives was bad. Yeah, no, it's, I don't think it is. It's a it's a plan where there are consequences. But but I think that makes it a, a weak yeah. chain because then if you're watching that Euron attack on Yara's fleet and mm-hmm. you're looking for justification, the only person you have to blame is Tyrion, right? Which then puts more weight, I think, on on his well intentioned plan than it should. Yeah, and and all of that is good and comes to its point, you know, with the attacking of the grain and everything, but I I completely agree. Yeah. Um and if we're being completely nitpicky, it's not really a body movement show, and then we have a really long segment of poor Samwell, I think uh probably just to show that he's not doing what he wants to be doing in Old Town when he's learning with the Maesters. Oh yeah. But it goes on a really long time. I yeah, I and had totally I would forgot love about it. To have some other um, just to be clear, I, when you say body movement, because <laughs> it, it made it sound like there's a scene where Samuel oh. does a dance and you didn't like it. It's he's the, eating and then he's cleaning out people's chamber pots. Yes. And everything is the, the same color. Endless maester uh, <laughs> chamber pot cleaning yes. montage. Yes. yes. Which we just, there's not a lot of montages, honestly. Um, yeah. And I, I find the whole uh, Old Town series series um series of scenes fascinating yeah no surprise as a person who always finds a way to talk about libraries <laughs> in any podcast or conversation ever but um yeah i just feel like i i understand that it was there i assume i guess my interpretation is it's there because they want to show the drudgery of what he's doing it's yeah he's not getting to necessarily read the things he's not getting to go into the restricted section to do the re- research about the white walkers that he wants to be doing yeah this is the first step and the first step is drudgery but at the same time it just it's it's i just i sit there going especially this time, like, we have such limited amount of time and we're taking this much of our time for this, but but there's so many other things we don't get to see because we're watching this. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, maybe that's, it just shows what a good show it is that we feel like time is being taken away from other things. Yeah, again, I, I think that goes to that high bar 
Yeah. Slightly lower bar. Because, yeah, I would have happily taken a drudgery montage that was half as long. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about chamber pots. Like, <laughs> show him scrubbing the walls. Show him, you know, uh, uh, rewriting the the uh, texts that are falling apart and soaking his hand in pain. Like, it, uh-huh. it, was, it just did feel like, oh, why did... Why is this suddenly a mini Adam Sandler movie in the middle of Game of Thrones? Yeah. Uh, felt like that to me. Um, I do want to move on to some yes. other specific questions, but I do I do also want to uh, throw out and ask that uh, while well, well, we're being critical, because I think we're mostly be pretty excited about Game of Thrones. Absolutely. But uh, it was remarkable to rewatch it and see how much uh, I think the show changed and also... Uh, entertainment is changing from when the show started to where it is now in terms of just the sheer amount of nudity. Yeah. In the sheer yeah. amount of just like, there are breasts in the background always to the last couple of seasons. It's like, only if it really seems like there's a super specific narrative purpose. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that is a uh, great change. Yeah, <laughs> great change. <laughs> I will yeah. just throw my opinion yeah. in there. <laughs> and uh, I'll also just throw out that uh, I do agree with a lot of the criticisms of some of the specific moments of uh, they've been discussed a lot of the the Jamie and Cersei scene in the Sept being problematic. Yeah. Uh, and the Sansa scene where it, their wedding night cuts to Theon's face. I, yeah. I agree that those are problematic uh mm-hmm. and not high bar moments mm-hmm. of the show yeah. do you feel the same way i do okay <laughs> good <laughs> uh so now we can get back to talking about the some of the things that we like um i just want to know favorite characters for you <sighs> like for me that's hard because i could list <laughs> i could list half so many. the cast but like what is just your knee jerk Ooh. so i was thinking about this as we were watching the end and this is coming from the point of the end so instant reaction if you had asked me last week um Samuel Tarley, one of my favorites. Absolutely one of my favorites. Um, Arya Stark, also one of my favorites. Um, Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. And Tormund. Yeah. Is, has, that's actually one of the things I think on this rewatch is I'm enjoying Tormund so much on this rewatch. And I couldn't remember if he made it to the end of season <laughs> seven. So this whole rewatch of season seven, I'm like, does he live? Does he die? Yeah. Oh, good. He's still here. Okay. Does he live? Does he? Oh, he's still here. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> you were on Tormund Watch. I was the on whole Tormund time. Watch. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many. And I, we were chatting. Uh, Braun has long been a, a favorite character as well. There's yeah. so many. And that's just the start. But I will start with those. Oh, and Gilly. And Gilly. Yeah. Gilly actually is also one that I think is one of the strengths of the show. Like one of the backbones of the show that we don't see as a backbone. Yeah. She's like the ligament, one of the ligaments that help <laughs> keep the show together. Yeah. Um, the show is very much about, uh, I think one of the themes is like everyone is a human. Mm-hmm. Or not literally. Well. <laughs> uh, everyone has humanity. Yes. Uh, of, on some level. And they are all living in this world where rich people are valued. You know, it's a very... 1%, 99% world. Mm-hmm. And we spend time, obviously Tyrion sets that up of like telling yes. Jon Snow uh, that he likes bastards. Tyrion making that uh, writing apparatus for, for Bran. Yeah. You know, we get set up very early on that this is a show where the show is going to demonstrate a world that doesn't have empathy for characters who are looked upon within the world of the show as less than. About, mm-hmm. But the show itself is going to celebrate them. And I think Gilly is one of those people yeah. of like everyone who meets her, she's just defined by a label. You know, she's yep. just one of 
crafters, you know, daughter, daughter wives. wives yeah. uh, and then to Samuel's uh, father, she's just a wildling and there's nothing mm-hmm. else. And like, it, it, it's more, we, it doesn't, the spotlight isn't shown on it, but I love that she is another one of these characters who just shows us everyone has humanity. Everyone is more than their labels. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned one, which is kind of one of my absolute favorites, which is Tyrion. Tyrion, yeah. Yeah. It's hard Tyrion to... might be my favorite. Like, if you, I had really? to just okay. choose one, and I know I'm missing, like, some of the, the key main characters who I also <laughs> adore, but um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I will say for myself. Yeah, uh, I'm very curious. I was uh, pleasantly surprised that you took my, my top two is your top two. Oh, yeah? Which, if I just had to just be honest, Samuel Tarly and Arya. Uh-huh. I think Samuel is partially because of the charm of the actor. Mm-hmm. I think also the story of somebody who really wants to be noble and, and, and is willing to stand up and fight and also knows I cannot stand up and fight uh, mm-hmm. physically. I'm not good at it, but I <laughs> yeah. keep trying. Uh, and I, every he's got all these great, just very honest, humorous reactions to so many things since we just watched it when Bran tells him I'm the three-eyed raven. And he's like, oh, I don't know what that is. He just yeah. he takes it in first, like somebody just told them that he, they've become a chef, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Good for you." Mm-hmm. What's a chef? Like, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. But I think one of the things that just absolutely cements it for me is everything that he does, except for the chamber pots, uh, when he is training to be a maester, where he just keeps following his gut. And yeah. He has learned to be like, I've seen John buck the system. I the system needs to be bucked sometimes for for the betterment of all people mm-hmm. and that one of the ways that that is is um portrayed is him not only doing the procedure to cure jorah of the grayscale yes. but when uh the uh, archmaster asks him how he did it and he says i read the instructions and followed them it just to me that's just such a um a celebration of the value of knowledge and commitment yeah, and actually reading all of the instructions, not just reading the first two thirds. Yeah, like he, yeah, yeah, and I feel like there's a lot made about uh, quite a few different characters, and then you know their moral compasses are not uh, certainly Jon Snow, but I feel like Samwell is one of the moral compasses of the show. Or like, I think he's one of the most pure characters by far. Yeah, where the show where almost everyone is compromised and makes bad decisions, he's one of the few people where you're like. That's a risky decision, but it's hard to argue that he's made any decision that's like morally questionable. Yeah, because it's all it because it comes down to what's what's good and what's good for for humanity or what is Yeah. Yeah. That mean, like that that what is the essence of good? Like from when he first tried to help rescue Gilly. Yeah. Um, and probably even part of before that, like that an examples I'm just not yeah. thinking of. I mean, I suppose he pretty <clears throat> technically not pretty technically. I think he <laughs> he arguably breaks his Night's Watch vow. Uh, he obviously has relations with Gilly, mm-hmm. but they have uh, at least one conversation in the show about, well, is that breaking the vow? This is just this is so similar to the whole uh, Star Wars Jedi code of you can't have attachments, mm-hmm. but does that mean you can't have relations? Right. But he clearly has an attachment to Gilly. Yes. You know. Yeah. But again, you could have that like, well, is that even is the Night's Watch? Uh, code even moral you know mm-hmm. like the show doesn't spend any time on it it doesn't question whether Samuel is 
you know, it, it has broken a vow to be with Gilly, and it's like, oh my, yeah. it's just like, no, it's it's right, right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then for me, Arya, yeah. I yeah. think not only is she, I mean, just she is charming and funny as a kid uh, when when she's young, and there's something about uh, I think particularly for someone like me who's done lots of different things and likes doing lots of different things. I always mm-hmm. really like seeing a character who's like, no, this is who I want to be. Like, I want, I yeah. wanted, they didn't want to be a lady. I wanted to be a knight. I yep. wanted to be able to fight. I wanted to be able to defend people I love and protect myself. And then to see her stay on that path, but then in, in such a twisty way where yeah. she's asked to sort of lose her identity entirely and kind of does. But now in these last seasons, she's, you know, she held on to who she was in terms of like, I am a instrument for revenge and that's what I have lived for. But now that she's home at Winterfell with Sansa, there's those little bits of like, is that all she is? Yeah. You know, so she, yeah, she held on now? to her core of like, yep, in a way I kind of ended up being <laughs> a very dark knight <laughs> that lives on revenge and is very good at it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. On top of that, she's just such a, her, her triumphs are always, even though, for me, even though some of them are like dark and questionable, mm-hmm. they're fist pumping. Oh, yeah. You know? In that scene with uh, with uh, when she's fighting with Brienne mm-hmm. to see just the the show does such a good job of like yeah we watched her train forever so we know that she's really skilled but then to see her go up against Brienne and to yeah. have the other characters have Littlefinger and Sansa watching that with just kind of utter disbelief yeah of like oh it's not even that she's good she is a force of nature she is beyond. You know, she exactly. is something else. Exactly. And I love that that um, the transition of watching her from, you know, trying to mimic what the boys are doing when people aren't watching to her first, you know, sword master and then being told not to not to dance. Um, and then all of the dodging and weaving and just kind of um, listening to the air almost is what it feels like she's doing when she's studying That's with such the, a good um, point yeah with the, the faceless face men. face yeah, yeah exactly and just to see all of that come together exactly to make her something more than herself yeah in that she kind she seems to understand you know lots of different kinds of fighting but that's such mm-hmm. a great point that she starts being trained by Ciro Forel as a real fencer with fancy footwork and then you know that the big swinging brute hound is like that's bullshit and then she sees somebody who fights kind of like uh the hound take him out in this big broadsword you know and then she learns from the faceless men how to dance yeah yeah so she's back to dance that's such a great point Mm -hmm. full circle uh for Tyrion, what what draws you to Tyrion? is it the that he really starts as one of our point of view empathy characters who doesn't want to he wants to see the world with kindness and with curiosity and you know a lot of yeah. i think virtuous qualities while also just being super relatable because we all relate to a character where the world does not treat them with respect yeah i think it's kind of, it's um it's it's many things <laughs> <laughs> many things i'll not mention right now but i think part of it is you see him so much he starts as as a cog in a machine that he doesn't he, just like you said, he has no choice over what size cog he is. He yeah. doesn't like his place, um, and nobody really respects his place. Um, but he he is in that position anyway. But then as you see him start to – but you already see him as kind of – like you, the example 
uh, Brand's uh, writing apparition I had forgotten yeah. about. And it's a great example of his, I think it's the curiosity is always there. And the um, the seeing other people, not necessarily for their banner or whose side they're on, even from early on, he's trying to, I feel like he's always trying to get to the humanity of of people. Um, probably not, you know, all of the um, various uh, whorehouses that he goes to. So <laughs> he has his own journey. Yeah. But I feel like, and then to see him really start to, um, you know, get that role of responsibility of being the hand and seeing his delight in it and, um, you know, like, whatever I do, I'm going to do really well. Like he's so proud of the, the plumbing or whatever it is in Castle. Oh yeah. And I just, I really like his trajectory. I really like his, I feel like he has that um, combination of intellect and empathy that grows throughout the show. And the other characters are, who are around him are usually better off for being around him. Yeah. uh, With the exception of Cersei. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I just, I feel like he is a very valuable character and I just really enjoy his story and his arc and his trying to pass off the things he says as things an old wise man once said. Yeah. And even with Cersei, there's this like tragedy to me of Tywin. And I think I appreciated that more in this watch through too of like, of not, not just really bad father, but how awful, how much he kept both Cersei and Tyrion in their boxes and oh, yeah. there's that great scene in season two where Tyrion and Cersei kind of have like a tender moment and, and neither of them really know what to do. Like they, they play it so well, like they almost want to like hug or maybe Tyrion wants to like put his hand on hers, but they're, they're like so, that is so alien to them. Yeah. But they're alone in King's Landing at that point. And then Tyrion does the amazing job of defending uh, from Stannis at the Blackwater, mm-hmm. Battle of the Blackwater. And you feel like, well, maybe if, you know, if Tywin hadn't come in and punished Tyrion for no reason, since yeah. Tyrion saved the damn city, that like what would have happened if Tyrion and Cersei were heading in the same direction? They were doing the same thing. Like, yes, Tyrion had really, really pissed her off by sending Marcella to Dorne, so maybe that would have been. But like, mm-hmm. ha- would was there ever a possibility of them growing together if they, you know, if Tywin hadn't come in and? just yeah. blamed Tyrion for everything yeah. and taken back power. Exactly. And also in in that moment pushed Ciri, uh, Cersei down too. Right. So yeah. Right. So both of them got pushed down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tyrion is big for me. I also want to say that I just really appreciate for big picture characters on yeah. this rewatch, I really appreciated both uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow more. Like I both did of them. as well, but I want to hear what you think. I think that... Um, my my opinion is that they are they're always been compelling characters to me, but I think I just appreciated the performance by the actors mm-hmm. a lot more because I think that sometimes they take a little bit of criticism, and I think for me, just watching it season to season, they didn't pop as much for me as the Tyrions or the Aryas, uh, you know, or the the people who kind of got to have a lot more jokes and charming lines and funny lines, uh, and do weird surprising things, um. But I think they're both characters who play things close to the vest. Mm-hmm. And I think both the actors do, when you watch all of it, do an amazing job, I think, kind of like painting murals on postage stamps. Because they're characters yeah. who keep things, they they keep themselves under control. They have a range of expression. But when you we've bought, been watching it all and you see the moments that are incredibly important to them or devastating to them or shocking to them, 
they play them so well. They just don't, it's just not large. Yeah, that's such a good um, way to describe it, I think. The painting murals on postage stamps. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, Because I agree, same thing, where they... I enjoyed their performances when we watched them the first time, but this time I did really. It's it's so hard. There's so many people I could say yeah. I really enjoyed, but I thought they did. Um, I enjoyed the arcs of the characters and I enjoyed the performances. Yeah, I think it's just easy to sort of like um, say like, oh well, Cersei is just is always kind of regal and her back is uh, stiff and she stands up straight and she gives pronouncements and mm-hmm. says her titles a bunch. And John is always going on about honor and it's not maybe the best decision, but it's the right decision. And so you can just sort of pigeonhole them, mm-hmm. you know, but there's so many moments where that's not who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, just as another, oh, yeah. just keep adding on more. Uh, I never can say her name right. Maybe people say it differently on the show or maybe it's just my brain, my, the way my ears hear it, but Missand. Miss um, Andy, Miss Andy, who is Sandy, yeah. uh, Daenerys's uh, right hand lady. Yeah, basically, um, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed her the first time too. I just find her charming, but the um, the character charming and kind of her growth, and uh, just it was really fun. I yeah. feel like she's a really good flavor. Character diminishes the character, and that's not quite what I mean. Because, yeah, but I feel like she's another one of those good um, heart characters yes she re- she reflects danny mm-hmm. I, I think is narratively important but i think even more important and what goes to kind of like the core of her character is so much of the show is about slavery mm-hmm. and she is our human example one of our human examples of i truly understand slavery right and here's my relationship with where i came from here is what the truth of that is i relate to gray worm because he knows the truth of this mm-hmm. as well. You know, those scenes where they're discussing their experiences and what home means to them if they ever want to go home and yeah. why they have allegiance to Daenerys you yeah. know, because they're choosing to. And if if they wanted to walk away, Daenerys would wish them well and give them a boat. Yeah. You know, and yeah. So I think that's, to me, really powerful about about her and Great Worm for that yeah, matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about even more stuff. Okay. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about that theme of the, that magic has been gone. It's been forgotten, really, and it's mm-hmm. reemerging. How do you how do you feel about that overall idea? Because I think, to me, that has been one of the most powerful ideas of Game of Thrones, that there's this reality from the first shot, mm-hmm. and then, oh, man, are they not paying any attention to it in the South. You know, yeah. there's just that huge contrast between sort of magic as a stand-in for the real world, the natural world. You know, the White Walkers is an analogy for climate change has become, I think, more and more clear as the show goes on and for people being like, we care about how many grains of wheat this house has tactically. And you're like, but you're gone, all going to die. <laughs> Pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, how do you, but I guess the larger magic question too. How do you feel about a, a story about magic reemerging? Does that... Oh, I Does love it. Grab it. You? Absolutely. I feel like that's one of the things that grabbed me early on when we first first watched the show. Um, the weirwood is that what they are? The, yeah, trees? the weirwood trees. Weirwood yeah. trees. Um, I have just find amazing. I uh, with the faces in them. And, yeah. Um, that idea that something more is coming and that there's something unexplained. Or perhaps forgotten. I mean, obviously it is forgotten, but that that's kind of how people... It's like, is this um, a story that nannies tell children to scare them and make them go to bed? Or is this just something that's enough time has passed that now it's become a legend and is no longer considered to be possibly true? 
Yeah. Even though they have the wall, but at that point it's like, oh, the wall is just for the wildlings. Except some people know it's not. Yeah. And I just, I, I've gravitated to that right away. And have, that has been one of the things that's, um, that in, in particular, that, um, that push pull, that dynamic of, do you believe in this um, magic or otherworldly idea that you haven't seen with your eyes versus you're very caught up in your own world? Uh, it's one of the things that's grabbed me uh, entirely the whole time. Yeah. I think part of it for me is like there's the obvious like the threat of the White Walkers mm-hmm. and that gets to be such a, a huge plot point in the uh, the last this most recent season. Uh, but also just the more uh, benevolent idea of, of it of like, yeah, dragons can't are weapons, but they're also intelligence creatures. They're not good or bad. Mm-hmm. The you know the three eyed raven is just a truth. The faceless men seem to have some kind of magical abilities to be able to create these masks and transform. Yeah, uh, and the Lord of Light is obviously whatever that is is real magic. It's happening. Yeah, uh, people are coming back from the dead. Exactly. Uh, you know. Horrible demon babies are being born with Stannis's face. It's all happening. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's not even there. There's the interesting part to me where it is about a threat that you're ignoring. Yeah. But there's also just the like um, this analogy that the world is the world. It's kings and queens and taxes and swords and bushels of grain and who has what. And it can all be kind of monitored and controlled like pieces on a on a board game Mm -hmm. and the magic for me brings that in that idea of there is more than our smaller concerns and there are things that affect all of us and it it just kind of lends to that idea of uh hope and belief in something more than small petty concerns Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's what's powerful about it to me yeah yeah absolutely in our real world can you there's the climate change analogy but Mm -hmm. in our real world for the more general magic coming back is there anything in the real world that you would think is like is comparable to that in Game of Thrones where like something we don't pay attention to but is is real? Um, <laughs> um so maybe, yes, yes. Okay. Um it's I don't know that's really to comment. Anyway, here's my point. <laughs> I'm I'm saying nonsense syllables. Uh trees. Trees. That's my okay, word. Yeah. But seriously, so I, I mean, I can go on about this forever, but I feel like that's it's one of those things where, I mean, we live in a city. I like living in a city, but I feel like there's it's many of us today have that disconnect from nature and the natural world. And I feel like there is some version of, you know, I don't mean magic like hocus pocus, but there is there is more than most of us on a day to day understand knowledge have of i'm totally losing my train of thought but that we have like yes there are people who study you know arborists and people who study trees and forests and all of that and they know a lot i'm not saying people nobody knows but like most people walking down the street don't really necessarily think about it except that we know that if you're in a city if you have trees then you don't have as much of the heat island effect and it also helps with you know birds and other plants and like the whole ecosystem is actually going to be better off if we stopped cutting down all the trees yeah and so that's my I little soapbox that of trees yeah i'm so glad that i asked this question because that really your answer really helped bring my thoughts into focus is that it it's it's partially fun fantasy. There are dragons and ice zombies, mm-hmm. but it is also like it's not it's not 
ooh, magic. It's the world. Yeah. And you have all forgot how the world actually works. And you made up your own world that's based on these rules that you won't give up, but that's not how the world actually works. Mm-hmm. And I think the analogy of like trees and oceans in deserts is how the world actually works. Mm-hmm. Getting mad at Starbucks because somebody wrote your name down wrong is a human adventure, <laughs> but it's not, but it's, it's all based on a bunch of rules that we made up which are valid Mm -hmm. but we can be disconnected from yeah sort of the the truth of our world yeah and yeah is an analogy of that it's really cool and i feel like it's one of those things um as somebody who is totally biased in favor of trees (laughs) (laughs) but that when people haven't spent a lot of time or just in nature at all but i feel like um in particular around if you've got like a small forest or a few trees or something that then when people go take a walk through the woods or something there is something it just it feels so different for many people from their daily experience yeah that there is something it is one of our versions of magic yeah absolutely it yeah just changes how you feel yeah and reconnects you to something older outside of yourself mm-hmm. yeah cool um i also want to ask i want to ask so many things <laughs> is the problem this is probably just going to be a slightly longer episode uh i want to talk about power Yes. So the show, I think, explicitly wrestles with the idea of what true power is, particularly in the first season. Lots of characters literally discuss what power is Mm -hmm. in different seasons. Different events show us different uh, realities. Okay. like in the first season, it's just who has the most swords. Like it doesn't matter that Ned is right. Doesn't matter if everybody knows that the the Lannister children are all the the alleged Baratheon children are all Lannister bastards. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Uh, everybody has more swords than Ned, and he dies. Right. And that's power. Right. Uh, but then in other parts of the show, people make the argument that power is symbolic. It rests with whoever b- people believe have it. Mm-hmm. And everything that goes on with Danny, sometimes she has moments of true, unbelievable power of like, she can walk through with flames. She literally has a power. Yeah. And other times it's it's the grind of politics of how do I get people to believe in me, believe in my ideas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what what do you think about all of those ideas when you're thinking about power? <laughs> I guess uh, I'm just going to ask you a real world question because yeah. you knocked it out of the park with trees. Uh, what do you think real power is? Do you think real power <laughs> is symbolic or Ooh. do you feel like, is it brute force? I think it's a combination of the two. And I at least that's my opinion today, right now in this moment. Um, <laughs> question <yeah>. answer. <laughs> yeah, I can leave it at that. no no please go on no i feel like it is it is truly a combination of the two because there i believe that i think that the belief in somebody and belief that somebody has power is an important part of it just having the sheer physical force isn't i feel like neither one is enough to hold on to power maybe that's what i'm answering that you do need both um to either take power or to hold on to power yeah. You can have power with either one, but if you're trying to kind of transition the power or maintain the power, you need both. Yeah. At least to be more successful. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think I take comfort from some of the moments in the show, and I think, uh, I, I'm sure there are other examples, but Tyrion jumps to mind, where intelligence gets him out of situations where he does not have power, in mm. the idea that intelligence... And also, even if he doesn't agree with somebody, knowing or guessing what they want. 
Yeah. And going like, I know you have a sword and you just want to kill me, but here's this other thing that I can dangle out <laughs> in front of you because I'm smart enough, savvy enough, a uh, great improviser, <laughs> Tyrion. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I would pay to see him at UCB. <laughs> uh, so, so to me, that's that's a great uh, comfort of like, yep, there are lots of times where where some we don't have physical brute force power yeah but that there are many other answers to that yeah it's absolutely not the only power um and i guess it depends on i guess i was answering the question thinking like if you want ultimate power yeah but if you take it to the level of like power within individual situations yeah um like, like the sharing example is great then yeah, mm-hmm. I think yeah, in, in intelligence and trying to see where other people are coming from is probably a pretty great, yeah. much better power to have than a lot of swords. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna go in the side of non-bullying. <laughs> non-bullying, exactly, exactly. And I, I think it'll be really fascinating to see where the show ends up uh, on that. Uh, I think the show is also really obsessed. I'll even say obsessed right here on this podcast what? called Obsessed. I didn't even mean to do that. Is obsessed with the idea of empathy. Yes. Uh, that starts out with. Tyrion and it plays you know almost every decent heartwarming good thing that happens is because somebody tries to understand where someone else is coming from you know the stories of uh, a lot of the the duos in the middle of the show mm-hmm. Jamie and Brienne the hound in Arya yeah. are so many of these stories are about empathy mm-hmm. um so do you take any life lessons from watching Game of Thrones like it's such, <laughs> it, I think it's just such a fun contrast because, yeah. you know, it lives in our culture. It, we, we make jokes about it being, you know, especially starting with just an insane amount of nudity and, you know, having exposition with sex in the background. So we pay attention and it's, you know, ridiculously shocking and violent. And you don't know who's going to die. And it's a horrible, horrible world everybody lives in. But when you start to dig through like what is the show trying to tell me mm-hmm. it feels like a show written by mr rogers in a way like <laughs> listen to each other and feel for each other yeah yeah i mean honestly that's what i was gonna say is i mean it, you you set it up nicely with empathy <laughs> uh so the empathy and the specifically not um not prejudging what your relationship with other people could be yeah i'm um, just going back yet again to the jamie and brianne friendship but even something like um Catelyn and Tyrion she doesn't necessarily really come around to him I think she decides he's not as bad as his siblings yeah but um but I think he even says later that he she didn't like him very much but she he had great respect for her yeah um and I think that part of it was having having the empathy having and having respect for other people and knowing that even though they're coming from a different place doesn't mean that um <laughs> that you have to think people are bad yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me I, how uh, about you yeah i i think uh yeah i, I think there, there's the empathy is kind of tied up for me with the the cyclical violence which we'll talk a little about a little bit like a lot of the shenanigans that go on with rob stark's a uh, slew of dubious choices and you know Catelyn releasing Jamie and that that causing the the uh, Carstock's children to die and mm-hmm. like that the, these situations where you can see everybody's perspective were like the action that you took led to this thing that is unforgivable for me and like right. but I was doing it for this reason and and feeling like you know that it's a life lesson on yes 
even if you see things from people's other people's perspectives, sometimes you're going to go like, I understand your perspective and it is unacceptable to me. But at least starting with, I'm trying to see things your way, mm-hmm. I think can, you know, help you calm down. Yeah. And go like, okay, well, their actions are making me feel like this, but they're not actually intending to make me feel like this. They're just expressing whatever thing they have. It's yeah. easier when it's not about actual murder and death. But right. uh, but in sort of day-to-day interactions, I think I, I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And also just like this massive, like the, the, the Jamie moment where he's in uh, the bath with Brienne. Yeah. And you know everybody knows him as the Kingslayer, like somebody who just has no honor. Mm-hmm. And he finally reveals that he has been living with this of like, I didn't do it for me. He was going to kill everyone. Yeah. And I saddled myself with this name and this shame across the entire, you know, continent. Mm-hmm. Probably known in Essos. <laughs> hey, right? You know, their plays. So people, you know, there have been, little, I'm sure there have yeah. been little plays that they put on. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, with him as a Kingslayer. Yeah. And like that to me is like such a crystal moment of Brienne, who is all about honor, hearing this guy who's like, I did, uh, he was being honorable. Yeah. And no one will ever believe it. No. But as soon as Brienne believes it, he kind of starts to heal a little bit or mm-hmm. change his behaviors a little bit. Yeah. Right? Just, he just has starts having more empathy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it has to do with losing his hand as well, obviously. Yeah, but, and I feel like he also, knowing that somebody knows and believes his truth. Yeah. Like, there's that that power in solidarity. It's like at the um, toward the end of season seven when um, Sansa and Arya are standing on the um, the top of the of Winterfell talking about uh, something their father had said that the lone wolf dies, but those that stay but together, the pack, survives. the pack survives. Yeah, and I think there is that real. I think maybe that's another lesson of even if. Everybody doesn't, you know, it isn't necessarily about having everybody know you and see you, but if somebody knows you and sees you, sees you for who you are. Yeah. You know, I feel like whether it's Jamie or Podrick, I feel like has that or Braun or Tyrion and so many others that I'm not thinking of. Um, Arya with her dad seeing that she did not want to be a lady. Yeah. Like that, that belief of having somebody see you and you see people having that experience um, at all different times in their lives, I feel like is a, actually I'm, I will say that's one of my big lessons from it is just the power of having at least one person see you for who you are. Right, that that you can help someone make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's how much that can can help a person's self confidence. Yeah, willingness to be empathetic for other people, which is I feel like in many ways the story of the Hound. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh yeah, that the hound is like the hound is up there too with my favorite characters yeah. of uh yeah, clearly uh, does awful awful things that we see him do that we see him brag about doing, but mm-hmm. is clearly a decent person under all of that. Yeah, you and know? I, and I feel like we see him gradually um to start to peel the layers, you know, the onion skin layers basically yeah. and 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 learn some empathy for people that he wouldn't have otherwise because he does have that with um you know, he, I think he comes from a like one or the other of us is going to survive and the other one's going to die. Right. He He's another one of these people who's just like, this is the world's awful. Yeah. And the sooner you learn that, the better. Yeah. So that closes him off to any possibility of making a better world. Yeah. Of seeing the trees. Yeah, exactly. But as he starts to see the gray and be less black and white, I feel like 
it's interesting to see how that grows. Yeah, yeah. This is a lovely conversation about <laughs> empathy that I'm going to ruin slightly by yeah. also saying, even in, in sort of dark situations where understanding where someone is coming from is not going to change the awful thing they do, I, th- I still think it's an interesting lesson also in uh, there's empathy of like, I, I truly understand where you're coming from. And there's like uh, tactical knowledge yeah. that it's important to understand where people are coming from because hopefully you can heal and get better or like with Rob and uh, promising to marry Walter Frey's daughter, of Rob just not seeing, listening to who Walter Frey is. Right. He's not going to have a, a nice uh, Jamie Brienne bath where he, where, he, nope. he, where Walter Frey opens up. That's not going to happen. But if he had listened and understood who Walter Frey is, yeah, then he wouldn't have made some of the bad decisions that he did. Is it? Or maybe he would have, but. I mean, yeah. it might not have changed his mind. Yeah. And I feel like that's an important part of this too. Is some is, you know, sometimes people are going to make the decisions that they're going to make, whether even if they know they're bad decisions. Yeah. And obviously we see our characters do that again and again. Jon yeah. Snow makes a lot of like tactically like no one's going to support you on this decisions. You know? Yeah. Even though that from our perspective, from the show's perspective there, the morally larger picture right decision. Yeah. They're like, of course, Ollie is going to stab you. Yeah. You're like, yeah, John, exactly. have you been watching the show? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. And that's that is one with um, with Rob Stark and Walter Frey that I, not that it didn't hit me the first time, but it, it's been a while since we watched it the first time. So this time I was like, ah, don't you see what you're doing? Like, yeah. I get it. But still, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the I think the biggest things for me about the show thematically is the breaking the wheel thing. It's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm obsessed with for this final season. Yeah, it's, you know, there's going to be lots of who lives, who dies, how do the battles go? But I'm so obsessed with how are how is this show going to answer the breaking the wheel question? Yeah, uh, and that was it's been on my mind, so it was really fun to rewatch and see where it first comes up mm-hmm. in that it, as literally saying those words of breaking the wheel. Yeah, where it comes up in that great conversation between Tyrion and Daenerys, where right. uh, they're they're describing all of these great families who just spokes on the wheel, and I think. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think Tyrion says something about like, how do you stop the wheel turning? And she's like, I don't want to stop it. I want to break it. Yeah. Which on one hand is like violent. I'm going to end it all. I'm going to tear the world down as it exists. Yeah. But in the big picture is the, yes, we have a um, 1% ruling than 99%. We have a patriarchal society where women are treated horribly, where so many different people are kept in their boxes and, you know, we're producing people like the Hound and Jamie, who mm-hmm. have the potential to be good people, but just like the world's brutal, so I'm going to be brutal back in this endless cycle of violence. And how do we how do we break that? Yeah, is uh, is such an interesting idea to me. And then I, I hadn't fully picked up how much the seasons right around that discussion are uh, people attempting to break the wheel. So oh, I don't think I did. Daenerys is attempting to end slavery in Slaver's Bay. She's right. attempting to, to break that wheel. Um, it's right around the same time that John is trying to break the wheel of how things have always been done at the wall. Right. By the Night's Watch by saying, we have a larger threat. The wildlings are not, are actually our enemies. He's trying to break the wheel there. Is that when he's trying to bring the free folk in? Yeah. I, and then wow, yeah. it's a darker, uh, not, I don't think, noble version but uh, High Sparrow and the Faith Militant break the wheel of 
the of royals being untouchable in King's Landing mm. and being better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And they pretty successfully, well, you can make, eh, I, I my, my interpretation of, of him is that he is being a huge, the high sparrows, if he's being a hypocrite and he's, uh, he's empowering himself no matter how many, you know, robes and speeches he, he goes on. Nobody's mm-hmm. torturing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's judging his life choices. Um, but that's a whole other discussion. But it is yet another picture of an attempt to break the wheel of how things have always worked in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess uh, my my question for you is, is what does that make you think of? What does that make you want to see happen in the end of the story? Ooh. Um, I, <laughs> it's a good question that I, I have thought about how much I'm curious to see what happens. And I honestly haven't thought a lot about what, what I think that would be. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a good answer for that question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I will. Do you have a good answer for it? And I'll think while you're talking. I feel like that's, I th- feel like that's part of the reason we spent so much time in Marine where Daenerys mm-hmm. is trying to, and Tyrion up to a point of trying to figure out when are we just being foolish and taken advantage of, uh, and when when is brute force necessary, and how how much can we just say no power is in inspiring of saying, yeah. look, we are the rulers, we're here to just make sure that everybody has grain, <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you know if there if there is some attack from outside, we're defended. Like we're just we're trying yeah. to run the government so all of you people can go farm. And, you know, and yeah. go go to the pub and have lives that are not constant violence. Yeah. And I like that the show is saying, eh, well, this is just like a real practical issue of like, how do you get there without slaughtering everyone? Mm-hmm. And then, well, if you actually do successfully slaughter everyone who would oppose this, yeah, how do you convince people that like you don't you have to obey us, but you don't have to fear us? If you so they talk so much everybody. about like yeah. about in, in spy, like that. There's so much about Daenerys being like you you ha- you can't just go burn King's Landing right. or you're just the same or right. you're just exactly. a spoke on the wheel. Mm-hmm. So how do you inspire people? How do you how do you find that that power exists because people believe you have it and people believe you should have it and people yeah. are happy that you have it because you're not using it cruelly. You're not using it unfairly. You're using it to make sure that as many people as possible can live decent lives. Right. But she doesn't have the same um, situation as somewhere like Marine where she can free slaves. Right. Um, Yeah. That's very interesting. I also find it interesting within the breaking the wheel, taking your question and taking on a slightly different tangent of how, depending on, depending, I guess, on who ends up on the throne, but um, on what's going to happen with the other houses. Yeah, because uh, Daenerys so far, you know, wants to be the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, but then you have places like the North, where you know, maybe going to be John. Now that we know he's not Jon Snow, uh, <laughs> who can c- control? Um, not that it's control in a broken wheel sort of yeah. way. Can keep um, be still be the lo- leader of the North. Or is it going to be something like there's back to having a warden, but then how do you have, it's it's the people, but then also how do you have like your, your sub-government and keep them loyal to you, wanting to be part of this new order, 
if you're actually demanding the same thing as previously, or is that just a method to get there, but then are you actually willing to let go of it once you get it? Yeah. Which I feel like is obviously one of the big questions, the whole thing of how do you get to power? And then if you say you're going to let go of certain parts of the power, do you actually? Yeah. Yeah. And so far, Daenerys has been not really, I mean, she wants in this uh, most recent season, she wants Jon Snow to bend the knee because she wants the seven kingdoms. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, does it get to a point where it's they survive the onslaught of the dead? The world is devastated, and they need to rebuild, and it becomes the you know United Kingdoms of Westeros, <laughs> where there is a central government, but it's a yeah. little different, and you know, yeah, that kind of all all those kind of things, and then that question of exactly how much is the show going to take the time to do that? Because, and the segue kind of into our next question, yeah. Um, the show in its marketing is winter is coming. Yeah. It's here. It's the Night King. He's going to kill you all. Yep. You have to work together. Mm-hmm. But also, the question of the whole show marketing-wise is literally who's going to end up on the throne? Those right. are the billboards. Here are the options left. Will it be Davos? You know? Exactly. Will Hot Pie end up on the Iron Throne somehow? <laughs> uh, it, all it'll of, be Braun. It'll be Braun. <laughs> He says he wants a big castle. He does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another contender for one of the best characters. (laughs) Definite MVP. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, thematically, it is totally about this larger question of how do you build a better, how, how do you create and maintain a better world? Yeah. And I had forgotten until this rewatch that this final episode of season seven is also really concerned with not only who's going to end up at, on the throne at the end, but lineage yeah. of how can we maintain that world yeah. of uh, the Tyrion has the awkward conversation with Daenerys about wanting to think about who's next since she can't have children. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow. Uh, it, somebody talks to Jon Snow when they're marching uh, up to find the, the white to bring back. Somebody talks to him about children and he has a look on his face like, oh yeah, children. I never oh, thought yeah. about that. So he, there's that little seed planted of in, in John Stone's mind. Yeah. Does, does he want children? And then he has the conversation with Daenerys about, well, who told you you can't have children? And yeah. he's like, the witch who killed my husband. <laughs> yeah. It's like, maybe question your source. Yeah. So it set up lots of stuff that speaks to baby having. And maybe yeah. that's just going to be about John and Daenerys. Maybe that's just going to be a story of when they uh, coupled, she's yeah. pregnant. And that's going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. But but all of that says to me that this is also going to be a story about what's next. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that is part of the story of, okay, great, you want to break the wheel. And and you said this, but like in uh, in Marine, it it's one thing to to conquer, to free people, but then how do you rule? Because yeah. there's there's the action. It's like Robert Baratheon. They said he was a great fighter. He was a horrible king. He didn't want to be king. He didn't want to be king. He wanted to do the fight to get to sit on the throne. And I feel like that's what we're seeing right now, especially with Daenerys, as we're seeing she wants to be the ruler. And we've had some examples of seeing her be a good ruler, but, but that desire to get to the location, you know, it's the desire to get to the happily ever afterwards versus that's actually should just be like page 10 of a 200 page book. What's the rest of the book <laughs> and, uh, and how, what happens after that and how do you set up a system that continues what you've set up Yeah. so that it's not so um, person dependent, you know, it's like 
if you want to take an example from the nonprofit world, how do you avoid founder syndrome? Like you need to have <laughs> a system of succession so that you it's not something where so when it's about the founder the idea, leaves, not the person. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, I've just but exactly. Like how do you set up whatever you're setting up so that it is more than just one person? Yeah. That's yeah, that's so interesting. And it clearly, I'm just so fascinated because they, they've got us all pumped up for who, who's going to live, who's going to die, who's going to be on the throne. But yeah. it seems like it cares actually that the whole fucking story has been about this uh-huh. much larger idea because it ties almost everything together. It ties together the, the huge idea of empathy. It ties together what is power. It ties together when violence should be used. It, you know, it just ties together like almost all of the themes of yeah. how do you rule next. It's setting up. The sequel series, which will start in five to ten years, will be set in Essos. And you'll just hear reference and be set like 20 years in the future. And you'll just hear reference to what is happening or not happening in Westeros. I'm sure that this joke exists on the internet. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, it's funny to think of like a Westeros wing, like like West Wing, where it's just a sequel (laughs) where it's just like, there's a council. And it's 100 years later. And they're just trying to like, all right, we tried to redistribute the wealth we outlawed you know uh reaving from the iron islands we mm-hmm. did all this thing you know yeah you know we have more prisons and less beheadings <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh but th- that even then that's a uh, moral quandary anyway uh we could go on and on about that but i do want to talk about the 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 fun stuff the juicy stuff that that is who is going to end up on the throne yeah and well let me let me just ask you this mm-hmm. we have two main threats not two main threats. We have the Night King. Yes. But then we also have the question of who is going to end up on the throne. Mm-hmm. So do you think that the story is going to be sort of divided in this final season to dealing with the Night King threat and then whoever's standing, there's the awkward, now what with the throne? Or do you think it's all going to be tied together into one narrative? Oh, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be largely tied together with um, more emphasis on the Night King threat. Okay. And a lesser emphasis on the who's going to end up on the throne. Okay. Yeah. Until the Night King ends up on the throne. Night King just ends up like on the, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Night King's scary because like just what, uh, what, what does the Night King want? He's, yeah. you know, and we even have a little bit of empathy from him because we got that flashback that he's a part of the cycle of violence that the children yeah. of the forest were uh, frightened of the men killing them all. Uh, so they made this horrible monster mm-hmm. uh, out of a man, yeah. and now the violence begets violence. Yeah. Plus, we have the vision that two, at least two different people have had, um, both Daenerys and I'm not remembering now who the other uh, one had it. If you're, are you talking about the throne room? The throne room. Yes, yeah, so we see the throne room destroyed. Yeah, and with we like see, snow swirling or something. And I was recently told uh, by my friend uh, Ken Napsok uh, mm-hmm. that some people believe it is not snow in that vision, but ash. I, well, so I, it could I be said ash, yeah. snow or fire, fire. that destroys yeah. it, uh, ice or fire that destroys it. Uh, yeah, uh, Daenerys sees it in mm-hmm. the House of Undying when the magician tries to steal the dragons in, uh, in Karth. Yeah. And, and then Bran sees it as well. Bran, I can't yeah. remember who the other one was. Yeah. yeah, so we've we've seen that image twice. So yeah. it does seem like that's maybe gonna mm-hmm. gonna pay off. Um, yeah. So then, where does the throne really relocate to? <laughs> yeah, maybe I mean, that question. could be a thing. Like, of like, yeah, like like because one of the just practical answers of how to make the world better in Westeros is redistributing the wealth. So it's not, you know, the Lannisters sitting on all of this gold and just being 
despicable to the peasants, right? Right. Uh, and we see that kind of again and again. Mm-hmm. So it could be a story where the world is devastated and our, our heroes are still standing like, eh, you know what? King's Landing is done. Yeah. You know, and the the new capital of Westeros is River Run or whatever, you whatever, know, or we yeah. build a new one, you know? Yeah. yeah. King's Landing becomes, um, I'm blinking right now on the Valyria, not Valyria. Oh, yeah. The, Valyria. Valyria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the new, the, like, ruin. The, the new ruined city. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh there are also fun theories. There's the, those flashbacks of the Mad King saying burn them all, which everybody, Jamie, seems to believe is the, you know, he's going crazy and he's going to use the wildfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but is it, is it, he somehow having a vision of the White Walkers and he's talking about the White Walkers when he's screaming burn them all? Oh, is interesting. Some sort of time travel thing or something. Interesting. Sort of, I've not heard that. Yeah. Thing. And how much of it is going to depend on, you know, it, it can Bran warg into the Night King? Can he warg into a dragon? Can he, you know, uh, and what is the actual of all the mystical things we know the least about the three-eyed raven just in this season yeah at least two people have said to him i don't know what that is i don't know what you're talking about it's the yeah. most unknown thing in the show yeah because it seemed like at first bran was seeing visions of the three-eyed raven when he was working into his dire wolf and yeah so he saw the three-eyed raven but i don't feel like we've heard about it from anybody who wasn't part of his touring his touring <laughs> company yeah. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah i know what you mean yeah um all right so just point blank yes who do you want to end up on the throne oh i just don't have a good answer to that yeah. i mean there's because I've, I've been rooting for daenerys for so long i don't feel like she's gonna want to give it up this right. so if i can just talk through kind oh, absolutely of, the options yeah yeah because you know and before we have the revelation about who Jon snow is mm-hmm. there's like Jon Snow and Daenerys, except will they actually share? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because she wants to be the rule. She's been taken advantage of by a lot of men in her life. And I don't think she um, wants any risk of a position where she is not in charge. Yeah. Um, so if it could be a true partnership, possibly. But now with the different family di- uh, family relationship that they will soon discover they have. Yeah. How is that going to change things? Can I ask you? Well, a, oh, go, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to go on to say, nope. will they both survive? Yeah. Is like a huge question. Um, I I would not like it to be Cersei at the end. <laughs> Very much not like that. And I would also be totally up for um, unforeseen other character who suddenly becomes like, say. Um, uh, Samuel Tarly. <laughs> Samuel Tarly. Or uh, Gilly would be a good ruler. Yeah. No, I was going to say the um, the Baratheon ambassador. I'm just blanking on his first name. Oh, Gendry. Name. Gendry. Yeah, that Gendry. would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, I feel like it, it's the a. There's the question of how much of what George R. R. Martin and Dan and Dave uh, mm-hmm. Benioff and Weiss have said. We talked to George R. R. Martin. We got the broad strokes, but there's going to be some differences from from the TV show to what he has planned for the books. We're not going to tell you what they are. Yeah. So there's always going to be that hanging over the show of like, how much are they going to make up the ultimate ending and how much is the ultimate ending what George always intended? Yeah. Um, And then there's just the like, if this show is about empathy, if it is about breaking the wheel, it's got to end on at least a hopeful note, at least the possibility of something better in the future. Mm -hmm. Because I think people would just be like, why did I watch this? If it's Cersei as evil as she can be. Right. Like, can something right, change exactly. Cersei? So Cersei ends up on the throne, but you know there's yeah somebody or something finally got through to her. Or is she too far 
I feel like we've seen gone her on her path, you know, say things too often. So here's my solution. Democratic yeah. society. The Council of Westeros. That has two primary areas. Daenerys can rule over the or can lead. Yeah. The southern area. And Jon Snow can lead the northern area because he doesn't like it where it's hot so it's, down south okay, anyway. So it just ends up being a government of ice and fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Figure out how to make ice and fire work together and you might have a successful next couple hundred years. Yeah, yeah. I'm so curious to see how, obviously, that that's one of the big end beats of season seven that John is going to soon find out that he is Aegon Targaryen, that he is a Targaryen and a Stark. Mm-hmm. And the implication is really that oh, that's going to be so much conflict between him and Daenerys. Obviously, they just had sex and they are related. That's mm-hmm. going to be a discussion point for them, even mm-hmm. in this world. But there's, I think it, it's got to be a story where once the rest of the world finds out who he is, yeah. that he has the most legitimate claim to the throne, that the rest of the world are going to abandon Danny for him. I just don't see John giving a damn. No, and I don't either. It. And I that's just, part of why I was saying maybe he ends up in the north. Yeah. Because he likes the north and I don't see him caring. Yeah. In the same way that Daenerys does. I didn't mean to, to cut No, 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 yeah. you didn't. You didn't. But so that'll be interesting to me. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm just so interested not only in what happens, but the order. Because again, I forgot until the rewatch, like and, and the trailer, the White Walkers are right there mm-hmm. and everybody's heading to Winterfell. So it, it's that, they got to yeah. deal with that right like, now. Episode one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, it can't be like, with one hand, we are desperately fighting the Night King. And on the other yeah. hand, we're going political intrigue. You know, I mean, we can because obviously we still have uh, Cersei in the south and she's got the army coming. So, mm-hmm. but it, I'm just really curious to see how they're going to balance. Yeah. Because if the White Walkers weren't on top of them, I would think the beginning of the story is going to be everybody finds out who John is and half the world half the people who are with for Danny turn against her because they want it to be John. Now the whole North is like, no, you're the king period. Yeah. And then that becomes like, Oh, does John choose Danny or the North? I don't know. Well, and I think there's also every possibility that Jon Snow's um, trajectory is directly to fight with the Night King. Yeah. And because he, and he is, you know, truly the, the ice and fire. Yep. So is is there some sort of like, in order to end the Night King, like he basically must merge with the Night King and that will shatter him or something like that. Like, is there some sort of almost self-sacrifice type thing that he has been brought back from the dead for Yeah, that will allow him to defeat the White Walkers? But that is his story. Yeah. And I mean, and yeah, then we, we end up with Daenerys in charge and Sansa still in charge of the North. Because <laughs> we don't want to leave Sansa out either. I mean, I yeah, feel absolutely. like she is a really good... She has learned how to be a really good leader. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we haven't even talked about the uh, the prophecy of the prince or princess who was promised. Yeah, which is the right? whole big, you know, uh, this is already a, a, a bonus <laughs> size episode. And I had lots of, I wanted to talk about all the gods because it's so fascinating because yeah. everybody believes in different gods. And some of them we see, well, somebody brought John back to life. Uh, the yeah. the faceless man worship the many faced god, and they can 
make masks out of dead people and become them. Like, yeah. we see all these examples of, like... And there is like, some power in those trees that the, look like they are crying blood. Right. And th- then those are part of the sort of old gods uh, religion. You yeah. Know, there's so many examples. So it, it's this great question yeah. of, like, is that just the way the world is works? Yeah. And everybody has attributed that falsely to gods? And is the show going to go there? Is it going to have a moment? Is that part of defeating the Night King where they realize... That's just the way the world works. Yeah. And there isn't, you know. Yeah. And what role do the children play in the end? Yeah. The children of the forest? Yeah, the children of the forest. Or the drowned god is the one true god and it rises up and smashes everything. No problem. (laughs) The Uh, end. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think for me, I want on the throne, I want a surprise candidate. Interesting. Do you have any candidates in mind? Honestly, Sansa... uh, is a great one. Yeah. Is is much as it sounds like a joke, I honestly think something like Samwell, something like I that that some of our heroes died tragically. Mm-hmm. Some of them for petty dumb reasons because I think the show is still capable of doing that. I think yeah. it's still possible that Cersei th- slits Tyrion's throat and it's just horrible. Yeah. I think it's still possible that John and Danny realize that only by sacrificing themselves can they save the entire world from the Night mm-hmm. King. So I think there's like lots of possibilities where it, the world is in shatters and, and the people left are just like, who who is good? Who is noble and kind and wise? Yeah. Yeah. And who's who's left? Who is that? Yeah. You know, is that, and you know, Samuel Sansa with uh, Samuel yeah. is, is her hand, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, honestly, that would be a fantastic combination. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of uh, interesting options. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really exciting season of television to go into when, on one hand, it's set up all of these stakes for characters that we love. It's got this one driving who will end up on the throne question, and it's set up these like really rich themes. And it's so interesting to see, like, how are you going to stick these multiple landings? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we're going to end our main conversation with a couple of just fun questions because we talked about some deep stuff. Absolutely. So I've got a couple of, this will just be rapid fire for you, uh, of which character you'd like to do things with. <laughs> so which character would you want to go on a road trip with? Samwell. Samwell. Yep. Really? Yeah. Just because you think he's a good conversationalist? I feel like he would find such random delight in things. <laughs> and like, I feel like that's part of the point of road trips. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about a bar crawl? Oh, uh, Jon Snow. Jon Snow, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, why? Because uh, I feel like he could handle the liquor. <laughs> doesn't necessarily, you know, won't suddenly get really like crazy and run out to the middle of the street. <laughs> All right. You won't have to take care of him at the end mm-hmm. of the night. Yeah. Okay. Or enough. if we can take uh, characters who are dead, possibly Egret. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. She would be would super fun on a bar crawl. Definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Right. Uh, all right. And the final one, uh, which character would you want to do a binge watch of all of Game of Thrones with? <laughs> Gilly. <laughs> yeah, I think she would be uh, surprised and entertained by the parts of the storyline that she didn't know about. Yeah, right? yeah. And I feel like she'd have some pretty good insights also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's been uh, she's been reading the books and reading the histories. I think she would start writing down some uh, an interesting review. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a great essay on Game of Thrones by Gilly we're gonna move on to our how obsessed are you questions in this bonus size episode of obsessed do you think about game of thrones every day uh right now while we're re-watching it yes yeah even when we have a couple days in between our yeah 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've just been, it's been enough on my mind or going like, oh, am I, will we have time to watch an episode tonight? Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or just kind of thinking about what's next. Um, so right now, yes. Yeah. Before we started the rewatch, no. Yeah. And just right now living in Los Angeles, I, there are billboards, I'm sure everywhere, but Los Angeles is a city where all of the billboards are entertainment pretty much. So it is kind of difficult to leave your home without seeing a billboard of one of the characters on a throne. I do drive past the Night King on the throne on my way home from work. Every, <laughs> every day. day. Work. And not just a billboard, like the entire side of a building. Of a building. Right. Yeah. 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 30 uh, story tall. Yeah. I'm definitely, because I think all of these themes and ideas have really sunk in, I'm thinking about it every day. Yeah. Uh, would you want a t-shirt that says, talk to me about Game of Thrones? Ooh, honestly, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to talk to people about it, but I would want to make sure it was the right situation. And I would feel like wearing a t-shirt, like just walking down the street, I wouldn't necessarily, in my lack of empathy, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> want to talk to just anybody. Um, and that's just, I admit, that's my own personal boundaries of like, yeah, I like to choose when I'm happy. If I were at a party where I was like, oh, we're supposed to wear a t-shirt about a thing that we'd be interested in talking about. Absolutely. But just down the street now. Okay, interesting. I think I would be a yes on that oh, right yeah? now. And I think it's partially just because right now our Game of Thrones is sitting in our culture of like, as we're recording this and I'm sharing my opinions, I know people listening have a myriad of opinions uh, and obviously my opinions are just my opinions. Um, but while people do have like some really just criticisms of the show mm-hmm. and choices that it's made, I feel like big picture in the culture it's not as divisive as some other some other entertainment things right now i feel like conversations start with do you like it or not and then it's just like you're on offense or defense and i feel Mm. like for the most time most part talking about game of thrones right now is theories and there's so many characters to talk about and there are so many possibilities and there's so many did you notice this did you notice that, you know, when John was teaching them about White Walkers, he talked to them about dragon glass killing them, but he didn't say anything about De- Valyrian steel. What? Like, there's just so many different, uh, it opens up lots of just different conversation topics from people more than just thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Which happens with a lot of, like, movies. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there could be very good conversations to be had, and I would be happy to experiment with walking down the street next to you while you are wearing that shirt. <laughs> I think that is a good answer. Clear boundaries. Would you want to cosplay as any Game of Thrones character? Ooh, I would I would possibly be up for that. Who would you want to cosplay as? Well, since I just mentioned her, Egret. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, it, you'd be very warm. Uh, since she mostly <laughs> wears the big furs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that idea a lot. I'm trying to think of uh, who, who... Who would you... Ooh, you know, uh, I think it's just because I like wearing all black. Jon Snow. <laughs> would you cosplay as the Night King? Ooh, that would be fun to do. I mean, right? besides all the, like the stuff on the face, but it would be fun to just walk around being like stoic and unknowable at, you know, as, as a form of cosplay. Yeah. That would be really fun. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I will think of some others that would be fun too. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, if aliens visited Earth and you were the human who got to greet them, would you show them Game of Thrones as one of their introductions to human society? No. <laughs> because if I weren't sure yet if they were kind or not, I'd be worried that they would take the lo- wrong lesson. Right. That they would see it on the surface level of, look. A show about people constantly in pain. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what we like to do in our free time. Yeah. Watch other humans suffer. It's like, yeah, 
if they got the wrong message. Yeah. 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 If it was like, okay, we've been hanging out for like a year or two. We're on good terms. We're just going to go watch a bunch of TV for the weekend or something. Then I'd be like, hey, maybe you should see Game of Thrones. <laughs> but uh, yeah. They're like, do you like thematic ideas and subtextual messages? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here you go. Exactly. Uh, all right. If time was not an issue, would you want to read all the Game of Thrones novels now that you've watched the show? Um, or does I mean, it just not hold that same uh, I, appeal to you? It doesn't hold the same appeal to me, which is a weird thing. I feel odd saying that because there's so many, you know, like I'm often would be happy to read the book of something that's a TV show or a movie. Um, and I honestly, I would love to read the first book. Mm-hmm. Just to see. Just to see what it's like. Okay. Um, and that one, I, I absolutely actually would like to read at some point the first book. And therefore, I guess I would probably then get drawn in and read the rest of them. <laughs> okay. But yeah. I, I'm not like, if you had said, hey, do you want to real fast read the existing books before the end of the uh, series? That wouldn't have been as high up on my list yeah. as rewatching them. Yeah. I think, you know, I have always, people have told me how addictive the first book is. And I have always been like, I'll read it when I have time to, you know, s- stay up all night and not go to sleep because <laughs> uh, I'm reading. Um, but now that the TV show is getting close to its end, there is something appealing to me of like, let that finish. Yeah. Let that sink in because it is ultimately a different story. Mm hmm. And then go to the books. It would be intriguing to me. Yeah. But I, and a part of me is glad, like, yeah, I, I, I can read and friends can tell me, like, significant differences and insights from the book that help make the TV show richer. But mm-hmm. in a way, I'm happy to finish this story and then see it in its original novel form. Yeah. Yeah. As a separate experience. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you want our family uh, to have a sigil and motto? And if so, what would they be? <laughs> Well, they would not be a flayed person. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> would it be a non-flayed person just standing there uh, with, you know, uh, uh, fully clothed with their thumbs up? Like, having, I'm alive. Have an empathy. <laughs> have an empathy. Like, a person just waving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, a lot of sigils are uh, animals. And so for you and therefore us, it could be a squirrel. Well, would you like that? I would want it to be a tree. Ooh, would, oh, would it be a... What if we had a tree with a squirrel sitting in it? Oh, yeah. I feel like that would be a really good one, actually. Yeah. I would very much like that. And what would our motto be, then, if it was a squirrel Ooh. sitting in a old, old tree? Nature returns. <laughs> I... A squirrel is wise. <laughs> I... <laughs> I want acorns. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm brainstorming. <laughs> I want our family motto to be, I want acorns. I want acorns. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> There's no wine. <laughs> uh, what's your uh, family motto? Ours is the fury. Oh, uh, mine is I want acorns. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll, we'll have to give the the motto. I okay. like the sigil. We'll have okay. to give the motto a little bit of work. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not done yet. Maybe it's uh, work together like the tree and the squirrel. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. I, I think we're still we're brainstorming. We're still, it's still right in a brainstorm mode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yep. Fair enough. Nature returns sounds <laughs> ominous, but I feel like such That's a hypocrite. Kind of why I like it. Like I love city living. My motto is nature, nature returns. returns. Like yeah. And meanwhile, like if we go to like a nature preserve and a twig brushes up against me, I'm like ah, <laughs> I'm such a city person. But then you'd be like, oh hello, friend. Yeah, nature returns. However, I will never go camping. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a hypocrite. 
Anyway, good answer, though. Here is the final How Obsessed Are You question. If we were about to see the first episode of the final season of Game of Thrones, but a bear who had been an undead bear, a White Walker bear, walked in and stole our remote, would we just let the bear take it? Yes, because we have other ways to watch it. (laughs) Uh, On what? On iPads? On iPads. What if if the, the undead bear took our tablets and our remotes um so is the unbed undead bear or unbed dare <laughs> uh like running away the from unwed us? mare comes in <laughs> like have they taken the remotes and now they're strolling down the street so i'm running after it it or opens the door to our apartment grab them and now they're like hanging out on the couch i feel like if it hang- was hanging on the couch it would just be like i want to watch game of thrones <laughs> That would be fine. Yeah. I guess here's where I'm getting to. Like, do I have time to find all of the candles in our apartment, build a ring of fire to contain it, and then get the remote? Or am I like chasing down the street after a bear? Because I'm probably not going to chase it. Okay, you're not going to chase it, but if the bear just hangs out here, you would try to work with it. I would. Or burn it. (laughs) The twin lessons of Game of Thrones. Exactly. First empathy, if that doesn't work, burn it. Always be ready to build fires. (laughs) All right, fair enough. So when we sit down to watch uh, the first episode of the final season of Game of Thrones, we'll have a bunch of candles on our coffee table. Exactly. Sorry, apartment building. We won't burn you down. (laughs) Can you make a noise to sum up uh, your obsession with uh, our binge rewatch of Game of Thrones? (laughs) I'm just laughing because I started to make a noise earlier that I can't even now remember what it was. And I was like, oh, that's a horrible noise. I can't make that one later. Uh, Anyway, okay. So. um, (laughs) Those are beautiful, but I would say those were... Four noises. That was more of a soundscape than a single noise. What, know, what what were those? It was going off to battle. Um, what was the second this one? Is a sh- sh- was oh, I think, ice? I think that was um, that was maybe the the ice. Yeah, we'll say that was the ice. Okay. And then there was the three-eyed raven. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the flying noise. The <laughs> and then there was uh, dragon fire. <laughs> oh yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. All right. Um, I think my noise would be. Is that your Hoda not being able to say anything? <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> no, it was my uh, my three horns for the White Walkers are coming. Oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah, I like that. Very it was one much. of my great moments of early Samuel being yes. uh, a student. It was like, yeah, it's three. It means White Walkers. Yeah. Like when you read what are the horn signals, don't just stop at two. Just read to three. Like they're probably all in a row. Why did you all stop? Yeah. Don't be like, eh, that's never going to happen. Like it was probably on the same piece of paper. (laughs) Read. Come on. (laughs) I drink and know things. I read the book. I follow the instructions. All (laughs) good life lessons from Game of Thrones. And drink wine. And drink wine. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Which we are doing right now. We should have said at the top of the podcast. Uh Anyway, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, what is your current obsession level with Game of Thrones? Mm, I'm going to say a 7, pretty strong 7. Okay. I have 7 dragons. 
living <laughs> inside of me. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I'll go a little bit higher. Yeah, uh, I'll go up to an eight point five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I feel like I'm, my brain is is turning on it a bunch, even when I'm like, I have other things I need to focus on. Yeah, my brain's like, but what have you thought about that? Uh, so I feel like I'm. Yeah, indefinitely. At that, at the point where I want to wear a T-shirt in case somebody tells me their own uh, interesting opinion mm-hmm. about Game of Thrones, I gotta rate myself a yeah, little higher. I think so. All right, we have got Good to uh, the plugging questions or the plugging questions, the plugging segment of the show. Where can people find you on social media? I can be found on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw. Um, that is Sarah without an H on it. And I can be found on Instagram, uh, where I mainly post pictures of trees and wine, uh, or other drinks, or other flowers, uh, at Scrim Street. Excellent. And here are quick plugs for this show, and then we will do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshot.com. You can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. And if you like fantasy shows, I did some writing on a great fantasy comedy show that is called Tigtone. It's on Adult Swim, and the whole first season is available on their app and the Adult Swim website. Just go there and search for Tigtone, and you will see a lot of fantasy comedy. Uh, all right, final questions. If there was another setting on our shower, so water came out, but also another fluid could come out, what would you want that setting to be? <laughs> well, since we've just been talking about wine, wine is what came out of my mouth. But then I would need to take a shower with water afterward. <laughs> so first you'd go in and drink some wine and then, yeah, and then this clean is a, off. This is not a well thought out. And it would stay in the bathtub. Um, yeah, this is not a well thought out. I'm Yeah. Okay. But I'll, I'll stick with it. I'm going to accept that answer. Thank you. It's a song of water and wine. <laughs> if you had telekinetic powers but you could only push or pull things toward you one or the other which would you choose pushing things away or pulling things toward you um pull okay why because it sounded kind of fun sometimes i'm sitting down and don't feel like getting up and i could just pull something (laughs) toward me yeah do you you feel like because that was kind of my instinct as well as like i think i would use pull more than push because mm-hmm. like when you picture yourself as an action hero push is probably more effective mm-hmm. but when you're thinking about yourself as a human you're just like i want that it's over there or here like here's the other thing if it works for this which we can say it does because uh, i think we're making the rules right now when you're um like when i'm leaving my office door the door pulls toward me so i could just be like i need to leave now think it would open and i could just walk out Ooh. of course then i have to pull it close behind me yeah, but no. you, you pull things closed. They pull it so, closed. So yeah, so you'd be able to do. So like I'd be able a, to pull it. I'd be able to pull it both ways. I wouldn't have to touch the door handle. Okay, <laughs> totally sold on pull. All all pull all the way, mostly right. so you don't have to touch doorknobs. <laughs> Other than in public buildings where they're all push. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Final question for everyone on the podcast, which you have answered before, but you could answer in a new way. You could answer in a Game of Thrones way. Whatever you want. Final question is: What is happiness? Happiness is. Having a a person or people who know you for who you are and who love and appreciate you for who you are. That is a great answer. And I hope what you just said is the final lines of dialogue on Game of Thrones. (laughs) It would make perfect sense. (laughs) I'd like it to be written a little better. Maybe. maybe, They can do a little punch up if they want. But I think the sentiment is there. (laughs) 
All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk Game of Thrones into microphones with me. Oh, my pleasure. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So, the White Walker bear is sitting on our couch holding the remote. And I'm going to try to communicate with it.